Hi, welcome to the Xbox World Podcast. Uh, this is probably number 747. Actually, I don't know, Palette, what is it? 35, something like that. 35. But um, we hope you're well, and uh, thanks for listening. Um, we're going to chat, as usual, about all sorts of bits and bobs. We've had a few events this week we've been to, and uh, we've had a few bit of code in the office, so there's plenty to chat about. Um, but I think we'll probably start off somewhere a bit different this week. We'll uh, We'll start off by telling you who we are so you recognise our voices and then I'll, I'll chat a little bit about our latest issue. Uh, I'm Tim, by the way. Editor uh, uh, and uh, top man. <laughs> uh, I'm Matthew, staff writer. And I'm Mike, can recognise my voice. Um, so let's talk about the latest issue, uh, Batman on cover. We talked a lot about Batman in the, uh, in the last issue. In uh, the last podcast, sorry. And we haven't put wholly anything anywhere no, on the cover either. Because uh, that is punishable by death. So you won't find Holy Macro. It's a Batman exclusive. Holy great game, Tim. <laughs> um, but you will find uh, a massive, massive feature, uh, which uh, we're really proud of. Mike's done a top-notch job on it. Yeah, we're talking to the guys at Rocksteady. We've got like, you know, all the access you would ever want from a, a big old Batman feature. Plus all of the best Bat moments in Bat history. Yeah. Holy uh, Bat history. Holy Bat history. We've got something on Bat history. Um... If for no other reason, you, if you pick up the mag this, this month, make it for the fact that on uh, page three, there is a quite hideous picture of me, um, uh, which uh, art, art man John Strike has turned me into the Joker. But it's a different form of Joker. It's, it's an elephant man meets the Joker <laughs> with the biggest chin of anyone. That is a perfect replication of what is on the cover, I'm telling you. I don't know. Like every not, month. I mean, on the cover, he's got like a sort of... Look at his... He's a sort of thinsy, thinsy chin. Whereas yeah. on here he got the old a mouthful chin. of cotton wool. Yeah, but wolf. he couldn't yeah. do the old thinsy chin, Tim. Because, I look like because Bubba you, from Forrest Gump. You, you are large of chin, broad of chin, shall we say? Well, I, I can't, I can't go along with that. Um, but anyway, yeah, a cracking issue. Batman. Uh, we got a bit of Call of Duty in there. Um, Modern Warfare Two. Uh, we've got a, a music feature from Matt, all about um, the rise and. Uh, Soon to be fall plateauing <laughs> of uh, of uh, of the music uh, uh, genre. Uh, we've got the making of Far Cry Two. Uh, we've got some Assassin's Creed stuff in there. Uh, we've got a bit of Mafia Two, uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen. Um, just he just says just flicking some pages. Uh, we've got uh, reviews wise. We've got an exclusive review of UFC Undisputed. Sorry, UFC Two Thousand and Nine Undisputed. Uh, we've got Barnet Commando. Uh, we got the worst game that we've... Uh, w- the second worst Actually, game. the second worst game. I was trying to think what the worst game was. Jumper. Jumper. The second worst game we've ever had in the office in this reviewed in this issue. I won't spoil the score for you, but and I won't even spoil the game for you, because there's an, but I think a lot of you listening to the podcast will probably know what that game is. Uh, Star Ocean Basket, uh, Battle Stations Pacific, uh, X-Men Wolverine, uh, Matt, which you uh, thought was great. I, I really did, yeah. Um... I played it through start to finish. I'm going to do it again sometime to get the last few achievements I didn't get first time around. And it was a real nice surprise, especially since, you know, it just turned up as the, the box copy to review. And that's always bad news. When, when you don't see a game until it's about to come out, you can almost guarantee that it's going to be a duffer. Yeah. But um, no, surprisingly it's decent. Right. Made by um, made by Raven, of course. Um, one of their three games that's out this year. I mean, that's a lot of games in one year for one studio. Mm. Um. 
yeah, so uh, lots of other, the other reviews as well and uh, plenty in our community section this month that Mike's put together. And just basically, it's a top, top, top-notch issue. And it's on sale now. So uh, go down the shops, buy it, um, get your friends to buy one, get your dad to buy one because everyone, you know, even your dad likes Batman. I get my dad to buy it. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, get, get your girlfriend to buy it or if you're too young to have a girlfriend, get your sister to buy it. Just basically get everyone to buy it um, because it is um, it is great, and it's also got a cracking cover underneath the bag. We've got done a sort of specially, specially jazzy kind of cover and uh, hoodie, which, which hoodie actually took home with him. Yeah, because took home with him. And on Future's ultra sophisticated systems, he didn't have the software he needed and the filters he needed to make it look the way he wanted. Thanks, Future. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's in the shops now. Go down there, buy it. Job done. Pallet. Uh, <laughs> you've been off with rat flu for a couple of days I have I've been off with rat flu and then the week before that I'd taken holiday yeah and then the week before that oh you're off then as well yeah so you've basically had three weeks off I have can we talk about the week before that can we say um, where we went yeah we can when's say when's this podcast going up yeah on Friday, Friday. We, can say, we can say what we went to see we can't say a lot about it though No, not, not tomorrow Friday tomorrow Friday I thought we had no and we'd already recorded which had to go up it's up really yeah okay Fair enough. Sorry about that, listeners. We were just having a... Uh, the, Matt and Mike were having one of their many domestics. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about it, Matt. So tell us a little bit about what you did. Where um, you went. Went over to London, uh, of, of Canada, London, Ontario, to visit Digital Extremes. And we're the first mag to go and see Bioshock 2 multiplayer. Um, I should point out that we're the only mag in the UK to see this. Um and it's still quite top secret. I mean, I've yeah. had to sign my life away on a on a non-disclosure agreement, so we have to be a bit careful what we uh, what we say on this. But uh, I think it's it's fair to say that when we found out that there was a multiplayer component in in Bioshock Two, we were maybe a little bit hesitant. Mm-hmm. Where we found out that Digital Extremes were doing it, perhaps a bit more so, perhaps a bit more hesitant, only because Digital Extremes haven't really done anything that was massively blown us away. No, not since like they're working on Unreal Tournament, which yeah. has been back years now. And they've yeah. had, well, they did, didn't Pariah. they do Pariah? Pariah, Warpath, Dark Sector. Dark Sector. Yeah. Not amazing, but one thing that I think we all perhaps forgot is that they worked on the PlayStation 3 port of Bioshock along with 2K Marin. Right. So they're not coming to this project, you know, with no experience. Yeah, they have been if, working if, on if we thought about it a little, perhaps we could have predicted this. Um Although it is worth noting that the PlayStation 3 version of Bioshock isn't by no means as good as the uh, 360 one. Well, I, don't, I obviously don't want to go into, into many details. We, uh, it was, it, we didn't get to play it, sadly, but we did get to watch a, a number of, of games played out in front of us. And, you know, we went in thinking, well, Bioshock and multiplayer doesn't really fit together. You know, the mechanics of Bioshock don't really seem to, seem to work online. But... Um, They've made changes where necessary. They haven't been afraid to change the Bioshock formula so that it works for multiplayer. Mm. And somehow, it seems to me at this point in time, they've come up with a game that, that actually works online. And I mean, normally when you get a first-person shooter game on 360, it'll have a multiplayer mode. But if that game doesn't have Halo in the title or it doesn't have Call of Duty in the title, then there's no point that multiplayer mode being there. Mm. Well, Gears isn't first-person. The only other one okay. would be Left 4 Dead, and I don't class that as competitive no, so much as co-op, yeah. co-op. But even that's not well played on 360. So, um, so yeah, unless you're Halo or Call of Duty, your game's not being played over live. Bioshock's got the name, um, and 
come this October when maybe October they're thinking of launch, it might have the the online mode. The game. It, it might have the game. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking just say games like that. No, too cheesy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. If you look at the list of features that they've got planned for it, it's not a huge list. It's quite basic compared to say the Halos and the and the Call of Duties of this world. But um, the game itself is solid, and that's the main thing. Mm. If it works online, which it does seem to at this point in time, then, uh, then they should be onto a winner. And you didn't just see the multiplayer either. You saw some single player stuff as well. No, we saw the single well. player as well. We saw quite a bit of single player. Um, and we got to chat um, with Jordan Thomas, who's yeah. the creative director of the new Ken Levine. Um, that guy is just incredible to speak to. Like I, when I came back, I spoke to Mike. We, um, we're big fans of Braid in the office. And we got the game Braid and we played it through. We realized how amazing it was. And then we chatted to the guy who made it, Jonathan Blow. Um, a guy who just, when you speak to him, you know that he knows his game inside and out. And his opinions on games, you know, you, t- you sit up and you take notice because he knows what makes a good game. He's, what I mean, makes he's a, a bit, game. He's probably a figure on the indie game circuit. You know, he's always lecturing, always uh, giving talks at conferences and so on. And when he does, people you know, pay attention. He's one of these, he's. he's as many people in that you know in that field are ridiculously smart and ridiculously yeah. knowledgeable about his um his area of expertise you know and um and speaking to Jordan Thomas it struck me that this guy is just as knowledgeable in the same way like i mean so it's not a case of him just talking up a good game because anyone can do that we've mm. seen every developer diary that's ever been released you know joe blogs from who cares studios comes on saying oh their game's great we've got destructible cover blah 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 we've got a great cover system yeah exactly and they just talk rubbish most of the time they're just ticking the boxes when you speak to the creative director for bioshock 2 he knows what's good about bioshock i think the telling factor for me is that i went in we chatted to lots and lots of people loads um of people from digital extremes and from 2k marin and everybody like had their own opinion on what Bioshock was. What makes Bioshock Bioshock? Well, it's the plasmids, or it's the little sisters, or it's the big daddies. But the thing with Jordan Thomas is that he realises that Bioshock is is not is none of those things. It's all of them, and mm. it's the way it works together. Like he wasn't prepared to break it down to saying Bioshock's this, this, and this because it's not. It's not that simple. Like you take all the certain parts, you take say plasmids. It's like well, other games have done their own version of plasmids. Just in Bioshock, they happen to be implemented in this certain way that it works with everything else. And he just... I, I've never walked away from, from seeing a game and felt so confident just by knowing who's in charge because I, I, I don't believe that the game is going to be a failure with that kind of management. Cause he no. seems to know, like, if, if something's not... Like, he worked on the original and he came out and said, like, the, there were mistakes in the original and he was saying, like, this bit wasn't so good and that bit wasn't so good. And um, when we asked what he would like to improve, the origi- uh, what he'd like to improve in the sequel, which wasn't so good in the original, he uh, he burst out with laughter and said, "Well, becoming a big daddy," because you right. know, in the original that really wasn't uh, such a great feature. When uh, you sort of know you're, you're turning yourself into a big daddy, it seems like that's going to be like, "Oh, you know, I'm going to become really powerful," yeah. and then get to use the big drill, the big gun, you know, the works, and it doesn't translate to that at all. You end up just being like, you know, the same guy but looking through a hole in the middle of the screen. It wasn't a great bit, and you know I think Thomas realizes that you know, that could have been so much more. It could have been a really like you know transformative element of the game, but they didn't run with it. I think I think the other good thing about chatting to them was, um, I mean, there's been stuff about Bioshock Two already, and you know other publications have had single player information, which we have as well in in our in our issue, in our um, Joker issue on sale now. 
But a lot of people complain that when they went to visit the guys at 2K, they were very secretive. They wouldn't tell them any, any information. They asked questions, they just got back no comments. Well, we didn't find that at all. I mean, I think part of it might be the questions you go to ask. You don't walk in and say, Bioshock 2, tell us what happens at the ending. Because, of course, mm. they're not going to reveal that. They need to keep like, the plot details under wraps. I think it's important. When you, when you get the game back home, like if, if someone had told you about the would you kindly and Bioshock before you played it, it would have just ruined the entire game. Well, one thing about the, um, the campaign for the original Bioshock was... It was the entire thing was misdirection all the way through the campaign. They were saying, "Oh, you know, the whole, the whole game is about the choices you make, about the choices you make." And then uh, when the game finally came out, of course, you didn't have any choice whatsoever, really, apart from you know the very arbitrary one of picking, you know, harvest or, or you know, save. Um, but when when we went over and chatted to them, they they were really forthcoming with their answers. Like there were no no comments. If you asked something that they couldn't quite reveal yet, then they'd. They maybe say, "Well, I can't say, I can't answer you directly, but here's a, a, f a funny aside kind of link to it." So they were really, really forthcoming, and we got a lot of good content, a lot of uh, secret information that I didn't think they'd be uh, willing to share. The thing is, you often you often find that with like the bigger developers is that they're 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 not as reticent to tell you stuff, and I think it's because they're so confident in their their game, they're so confident in the quality of the studio and the people around them that they. They don't need to put up this like wall of silence because they 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 don't need to like. I think with some some other studios, you know, who are perhaps working on on lesser games. I know I've done interviews before when you're you're doing it with sort of middle tier studios or even sort of smaller studios and that, and they're all like, no comment, can't talk about that. Like their game is so important mm. that it's got you got to maintain this kind of wall of silence about it. And I think it's because they're trying to they're trying to generate. A sort of buzz around it, like, oh no, I really want to know about yeah. that. But in fact, what you're doing is you're you're locking people out. You're saying to the people who out there in the general public, you're saying to us first of all, and then you're saying to the people we speak to through the magazine, I don't want you to know about my game. This game that that you don't know anything about anyway. I don't want you to know anything about it any any more than you do. Whereas with the bigger games, I think they're they're confident enough to know that people will will. To generate buzz about it online yeah. if they release more information about it and it just grows and grows and grows and I think that's why Bio the first Bioshock did so well I remember saying I don't know whether you guys were even on the mag when when it came out I joined just uh, just after I was here for the DVD review. yeah well, I probably yeah. said to Mike when he was when he first joined I said I, I, I worry about Bioshock because it's so different to anything it's been out there before. It's set in this crazy world, unlike anything. It's not Marines. It's not Space Marine. You know, but I think because Levine was such an engaging kind of figurehead for this game, and because he generated such a lot of good copy. I mean, we did a couple of interviews for him, and they were with him, and they were brilliant interviews. He gave us so many quotable, so much quotable stuff, and I think it's generated buzz for it, and that's why people got into Bioshock because because of this. I think that's what they're doing again. You know, they're opening themselves up and allowing us to kind of. Coming and it makes a brilliant copy for us, yeah. And it makes uh, it makes it better for them because more and more people are talking about. It. Not that Bioshock Two was was wanting for for buzz and kind of um, you know publicity and stuff, but it does. It all helps, you know. It all helps kind of get it out there. And I think a lot of other studios could could learn a lot from that. You know, studios who don't have games anywhere near as big as Bioshock Two, but I think they think they do. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of these games just sink without traces because the, the people who make them don't help. I think apart from, the only thing they wouldn't 
reveal any information on was uh, with one specific multiplayer mode, and that for now is under wraps. But apart from that, they were willing to almost talk about anything. And I think it just it just it was proof that they know that they've got a good game. Like mm. They don't need to be afraid of their game because, I mean, essentially they've got two games. They've got a single player game, which 2K Marina working hard on, and then they've got this multiplayer side, which they've just got digital extremes working on. And, I mean, they, they talk every day back and forth between the two teams. They're always sharing code, so it's not a case of they're going to be two very different breeds mm. of, of game by the time you get them just plunked on the same disc. They are going to be... Similar in theme, they both borrow aspects from each other. And let's be clear, but, um, they're not the only studio, major studio, which, are, is, which farms out development on their multiplayer. Um, the most obvious one, of course, is Ubisoft, who will make their single-player game in Montreal, for instance, and then have the multiplayer being worked on over in Paris. Uh, Grawl was very much like that. In fact, to the point that both use completely different engines. If you play Rainbow Six Vegas, the multiplayer looks notably different mm -hmm. to the single-player game, you know. The, they've been doing it for absolutely years. Splinter Cell, uh, the, um, Pandora Tomorrow, was um, running on different code, completely different code. They had to build, uh, Ubisoft Annecy had to build their multiplayer from scratch on you know, different software to what was Pandora Tomorrow's solo game was being made on in Shanghai. And that was even more pronounced when Chaos Theory came out, because Chaos Theory was on Unreal 2. Um, you know, the, at that time, it was like the new engine, mm -hmm. and um, the multiplayer was still running on the older tech. So... They're definitely not the first no. company to um, go with another, you know, with another group to do their multiplayer. It's it's just smart development. It just makes for a better end product for us guys as well. I mean, you've got you haven't got one team trying to stretch themselves yeah. over two projects. You've got two teams independently working on their own their yeah. own game, and we get Which, to pay of course, for the problem with the darkness. Starbreeze stretched themselves too thin, and both the single player and the multiplayer suffered at the expense of this rubbish multiplayer mode which nobody, nobody played anyway played. i remember going online you know weeks after it came out and there were about four of us online yeah. it's like what's the point like i say it goes back to the fact that if you don't have your halo or call of duty badge there's no point in doing multiplayer there's well a you can probably add those games are the best you know it'll be the biggest you know it's because they're the best and if you're going to compete with them you've got to do something really really good really really impressive and really really special so, so you were out to find out next issue whether <laughs> yeah that's right yeah that'll be in our issue on sale june the 9th so make sure you uh you you check it out uh mike you were on the road this this week as well yeah but i've been kind of um surprised to find this podcast going up tomorrow because it means i can't talk about anything oh oh um uh, i thought this was going up in a couple of weeks so i had a big list of stuff i was going to talk about um we saw a lot of stuff there not all not most of it not new so there's nothing anyone's going to be surprised by i mean i think i mean i saw thq's event this week and i saw uh activision's event so THQ's was very low-key, very small. Um, they only had really two games which we haven't looked at yet because they had Red Faction Guerrilla, which was quite big for them, and UFC, both of which were, we, we covered UFC this issue. We're covering Guerrilla next issue. It's an exceptional game, and we've talked about it at great length before. Exceptional length, in fact. Um, so THQ showed off Darksiders, hands-on for the first time, uh, playable. It's... Um, that I think I can talk about. At least I hope I can. Let's just say I can. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I mean, I'm not going to say anything negative about it, so it's not going to upset them. I'm not going to reveal too much about it either. It's the same section we've been shown in video a dozen times, but this time playable. Essentially one of their dungeons. Like The game's structured essentially like Zelda, only without the abundance of side missions. It's much more linear, but you can still go back and backtrack if you want. It has these dungeons, and this is what, you know, this is what it was. It was notably inferior to a Zelda dungeon 
But then it was superior in other ways. You know, the combat is much better in this game. It has a proper kind of Devil May Cry-ish sort of combat system. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's plenty in the game that Zelda can rip off, to be honest. There's plenty that Zelda should steal, like the, you know, the combat system. But otherwise, it's just a very, very competent you know, version of Zelda. And very confident, competent. It looks good. It, you know, it plays very nicely. It feels good. Uh, a decent game. What it's, about Joe Mad's art style? Yeah, Joe Mad's art style hasn't changed a lot since he did Battle Chasers back in like '98, I think. I remember reading that. I remember, um, incidentally, didn't just read it. I actually bought like ten copies of the first issue, and um, for one pound fifty a pop. So I spent ten, fifteen quid on buying first copies of the first issue. Is that Clu- thinking that you'll be able to make a profit in, in the future? In, yeah including the alternative cover on it. And Matt's about to scoff, thinking, oh, Mike didn't make a penny. Actually, I sold every issue of that for £10 a pop one That's month good, later. Good going. That's a, that is a massive, <laughs> massive profit. I, I made a bit of a, a mistake on that front. I remember, you know Darkwind on the PlayStation 2 with the... No. The old, you, you strap the gloves on, you had, they had strings that attached to this base. No, <laughs> I remember that. Well, it came out for 70 quid. But like, a few months after launch, Play.com put it down to seventeen ninety nine. So I bought five copies. Wee. And I still got four of them in my loft. Oh. Well, <laughs> I, I would have made a lot. I speculated on Steel Battalion as well. I bought Steel Battalion. And I was like, you're probably not going to play it. Although I did end up playing it. I really enjoyed it. I just bought it to sell. Mm. And it was like, it bought it for 130 It was on eBay literally later that day for 180 Like, I haven't put mine up, but everyone yeah. else was selling those on eBay for like 180 I figured, you know what, I'll wait for the price to go even higher. But then um, Capcom released a second like line of them, and uh, the prices just crashed across the board. But then so they, in the end, right. I, ended up, I ended up selling it for like um, £90. Right. I had 40 quid for fun out of it. Then. I mean, they, they rose again then, because I was looking to buy them, and then they went down again, and now you can't get yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, it peaked very briefly, because they only reached like 1,000 units in that game. But then they released Line of Contact, the multiplayer one, yeah. so he dumped another like 2,000 units in the marketplace or something. I still have sealed copies of Frequency. I might have a spare amplitude. I might have sold that now. I don't know. But I found, I found a really good retro store, and I've got loads of Frequency. I've got a bunch of uh, Nipponichi RPGs as well sitting at home. One day, I might make a profit. I don't know. <laughs> Speculators. We're scum. We are scum. But um, what I can definitely talk about, because I confirmed this um, with THQ, is uh, MX versus ATV um, Reflex which is the new MX ATV game. We really like the first one. Um, most people who reviewed it seem to just take one look at the graphics and say, shat man do, and then just bang the old 6 out of 10 on it. No, it was a good game. It was, um, I, I mean, I'm no fan of Motorstorm, but the game was notably better than Motorstorm, which was its competition at the time. Motorstorm 2 is actually a lot better. But the new game is, um, it's kind of the same sort of, evolution of the of the series that they did with Top Spin, that the guys who did Top Spin 2 did with Top Spin 3, or even like, you know, what EA did with Skate, it puts control on the right stick as well as the left. So when you're on your bike, and if you turn in with the left stick, that'll turn the handlebars, but if you move the right stick, that'll shift your weight. So you're always, you know, moving your weight around on the bike, and that's also where, where the stunts are handled on the right stick. It really does change how the game plays, because obviously so much of like riding any, you know, quad bike you know a motorbike is about where you put your weight uh, a lot of the time you're taking corners without even you know even turning the handlebars you're just leaning into the turn well you know you can do that because it's all on the right stick it's a really clever game and really fun we got to play it they've built these big open worlds it looks a lot better than the game did before it's still not going to blow your eyeballs at the back of your head or anything but it does look notably better than the first game uh, great game it's going to be great I'm sure it's coming out later this year um, and an interesting presentation on it because the guys 
you know, from, uh, from Rainbow Studios, just did this incredibly confident presentation. It's like, yeah, you know, we've, we've made a great game. We know we've made a great game. We've been making great games for the last five years, so here you go, enjoy our great game. And we did. It's, uh, it's really good. So I spent another night in a hotel uh, because the next day I was going to see Activision at 9 o'clock in the morning. Thanks for that, Activision. That would have been a nice trip from Bath if I hadn't had that hotel. What time did Nick from Endgamer get up to? He must have got up at 5 o'clock, because old um, Nick Ellis, uh, former Xbox Worlder and now um, Endgamer editor, Nick Ellis. Guest starring in this issue for Battle Stations. For he is, he loved, her, he loved a bit of Battle Stations. He, um, he actually went home that night and then came back the next day. It must have been back-breaking, the poor dude. But, um, oh God, on the, uh, the night of the THQ thing, I ate a Brazilian restaurant. Have you guys eaten at Brazilian no, restaurant? No, I good. I have. Hmm. It's very meaty. Like, and I like meat. They're big, they're big into their beef down in that part of the world, aren't well, they? Well, what I found was, because what they do is they bring it out on giant meat sticks. So you're, you're there eating, and you can load up your plate with as much sour from the buffet as you want. And then dude, a dude brings out, like, a giant sword, on which is skewered, like, a dozen chicken wings, or, like, or like you know, a big load of steak or something. And he'll just slam it down on your table, and then slice it straight onto your plate if you ask for it. But because of that, you don't take stock of how much you've consumed and how much you've got. So if someone puts a big old load of a big pile of meat, a boneyard on your plate, you're like, "That's a lot of meat, man. That's a, my cousin's not going to take that." But when it's coming a bit of time, and you, there's no evidence of what you've consumed or what you're about to consume, you you don't yeah. gauge how much you've no. eaten. So I ate a lot of meat, but I can't say I enjoy Brazilian food. It's it's like the shittiest cuts of meat. But just prepared quite nicely. So the, the amount of fat on my plate at the end, because yeah. I, I eat real lean, you know, the amount of fat on my plate at the end was just obscene. Like you could have built a whole another person. Yeah, you could have, you could have made some kind of like meat sculpture out of, what, out of the boneyard I left on my plate. It was. I can't say I was impressed, but they do have the world's greatest cocktail, Caipirinha, the world's greatest cocktail. But no one in the UK knows how to make it. Properly, no, they never put enough sugar in it, so it ends up literally the sourest, sourest drink. It's basically um, this. Uh, we've talked about this before. This um, Brazilian booze uh, brewed from sugarcane, lime, and sugar and crushed ice. It's a very simple cocktail, but no one in the UK makes it right because they never put enough sugar in, and you always end up drinking like just a mouthful of lime juice, which obviously will turn your head inside out. It's so sour. Um, but yeah, this was like a proper Brazilian restaurant, so they loaded it up with sugar, and it was great. Uh, can't say I cared for Brazilian food though. Uh, I won't be going out on my way to do it again, but it was, it was an experience. Big meat swords. That's the future right there. Um, next day I went to see Activision, and I can't. I don't think I can talk about stuff they showed. So if there's a weird like cut in the next bit, it's because we had to chop a bit out. But otherwise, I am going to go ahead and talk about certain things. I know there's the things I definitely can't say until like June second, which is E3. But he did show a new Tony Hawk there. Uh, which I don't think I'm allowed to talk about. They showed blur. They showed lots of things that we sort of expected to see. So there's no real surprises for anyone at home. No one's going to be like, whoa, this isn't... I think they're saving that for E3. Just as um, THQ are, they have a couple of games that are going to be launching at E3, not at their event. We had um, blur, which looks excellent in motion, by the way. Absolutely excellent. And will be playable at E3. Um, DJ Hero, which is exceptional. It really is. It's incredibly clever. I'm never going to play it. The fact that you're saying that it's exceptional is 
stunning because I mean, Mike, you really don't like your music. It's, it's just pressing buttons, man. I don't do it. It's just I don't, I don't get it at all. But what they've they, they've got some very 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 clever guys at that studio, like really clever. They've really thought about how to replicate the experience of uh, DJing, <coughs> and um, the hardware, the actual the actual turntable, the peripheral is amazing. Again, I'm gonna like taper off what I say because I don't know what I can say. Mm-hmm. I didn't check it before I came out because I thought we were actually going to be going up two weeks from now. Uh, I'm sure we haven't broken any rules but so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know for a fact we haven't because we haven't talked about the big gimmick in the new Tony Hawk game, uh, which is a big departure for the series. Um, a good one? Don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's, it's certainly a departure. Uh, I think Skate is actually still technically in a more impressive game, but... We'll see. We game we couldn't play it. They weren't even ava- they weren't even making the Tony Hawk guys available for interviews. So, um, Wolfenstein was there, as was Singularity. And you guys have seen Singularity before, so I won't talk about what I saw at this event. I'll talk about what Tim saw a couple of weeks ago. Singularity is Bioshock. Yeah, I mean, and so is Wolfenstein. Someone at Raven played Bioshock and said, "Oh, that's a good game. Well, we'll do that." And they, and they said, well, you know, what are you going to take from it? And the, the guy was like, everything. <laughs> you know, but it's but, not as good as Bioshock. No. No, definitely not. Um, but it's a strange game, I, I'm isn't trying, it? I'm trying to find the, like, you know, again, if, you, if what I'm saying sounds really strange and a little bit humorless, it's because like, I'm really trying to, like, not say too much. But, okay, so you play this game, and you know that gold glow that things have in Bioshock when you can interact with it? Yeah, this game has the same gold glow. You know how Atlas appears on your radio in the bottom left corner? This has the same radio. It suddenly crackles into life, talks in the bottom left corner. Um, and these are small things. And you think, oh, that's nothing. It's got the same weapon selection interface. It's got a similar way of handling the weapon. So you have like your time powers on the left hand, just like the plasmids, and the gun in the right hand. It has... Um, it has similar enemies, like the Houdini Splicer turns up as in this game, and in Wolfenstein, in fact, you know, you know that is, is a, basically a Houdini Nazi. Um, it mercilessly cribs, cribs from uh, Bioshock. Well, no, I was talking about Wolfenstein. Oh, Wolfenstein, right, sorry, yeah. sorry, I thought you were doing mate. I'll keep up, Tim. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, Wolfenstein and Singularity. Both lift the same things from the same game. You know what else does? Um, THQ's Metro. That is just Bioshock as well. No, Again, that's, that's that Splinter good. Cell. No, Metro is Bioshock. No, it's Splinter Cell. It's Bioshock. It's Splinter Cell. I'm promising you, Mike, it's Bioshock. I can tell you it's Splinter Cell, and it also is conspicuously absent at THQ's event. It's a stealth game, so it's, not, it's nothing like Bioshock. I mean, I'm sure it might look like Bioshock, <laughs> it might handle like Bioshock, it's but a it's, shooter, a, it's, isn't it? it's a, stealth, it's it's a, a stealth game. It's a first person shooter. Really? Yeah. yeah. I've had it from, I've, t- I've been told from a, a guy that it's more like Splinter Cell. There are stealthy elements, but it's predominantly. You saw it, didn't you, Matt? Yeah, I yeah. Saw, yeah. saw the first show. I'm sure it's an FPS. Well, in any case, it, anyway, was, it, wasn't, no a T- it, it. wasn't a THQ's event, which is. Um, well, worrying because they thought not it would worrying. be out. I, not worrying, I think it just, it's just conspicuously absent. I, don't, I don't think it's worrying. I, I think it's just. THQ are already distancing themselves from that game. It's just that's how, that's how it feels to me. Uh, but I mean, the thing with these um, Eastern European games is they always start off looking absolutely awful. Stalker looked terrible, and when it finally came out, it was great. It was brilliant. 
they always start looking absolutely tragic and at the last minute mm. suddenly just pull it out of the bag so metro might end up like appearing you know a year from now i mean and blowing us all away I wouldn't, ban- I wouldn't bank on it but i wouldn't bank on anything from it. i mean who would have expected the witcher to be as good as it ultimately was mm. they, they have a, they have a habit of pulling surprises i think it's just the way they develop games over there just do it in a slightly different order over here Everyone's so geared to showing off their games early and because you're showing it off at E3 and so on that they build these early versions of mm. games. So, you know, you've got loads of really cool things to show off. And, of course, they've got the publishers looking over their shoulder all the time. They've got to show the publishers loads of things. You normally have, um, I find, you tend to get first-level syndrome where they've, made, they've poured all their efforts into making the most amazing first-level ever so that we can see it a year from launch and say, wow, this game's amazing. That they kind of forget about the rest of the game. They pour all their efforts into their vertical slice yeah. or their, their beginning of the game. That tends to not be so good when it comes out, like the rest of the game. Well, infamously, Halo's vertical slice, Halo 2's vertical slice, wouldn't even run on an Xbox. It was, it was so intensive, it just wouldn't actually run on an Xbox. And Bungie spent months working on that to, you know, at, at great expense and and no real eventual worth. Meanwhile, in Eastern Europe, no one's really looking over their shoulder, and when it's done, it's done, you know? So Maybe white, gold, and uh, what was the other one? The precursors will <laughs> turn out to be good after all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, and the wall. So what did you think of Singularity, Mike? I thought it was all right. I just thought it was... Don't you think it's like, overly complicated? No. Uh. I just don't think... It's, it's got the most generic hero imaginable it's just a guy he's a soldier he's got a bad attitude well you could have knocked me down with a feather when he came along uh, and you know but everything's got that now. i mean even prototype alec alec mercy he's mr yeah. terry badu yeah with a with a hoodie on this guy doesn't have a hoodie but he's just like generic dude with a bad attitude i'm getting tired of those fools in games particularly in a game which is cribbing so much from bioshock you would have thought they would have at least taken like bioshock's best mm-hmm. element which was the storytelling but no they didn't they haven't lifted that part I just think everything Raven touches turns to all right. Or, you know, so, you know, it doesn't turn so much to gold. It's sort of, you know, a, t- a tatty pewter. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's no, it's not, you know, it's even, war, even Wolverine. So like, yeah, you like Wolverine. And I played, I played um, Wolfen, Wolfenstein and it was, yeah, I had fun. But it wasn't like, I'm not like champing at the bit to get my hands on the final game. It's not, it's not, it's not dynamite. It's not gold. It's just, it's all right. Um, they're they're and they're not knocking out three games this year, so I mean that shouldn't be surprising. That none but of the singular- games like- singularity, they're pitching as their big their their Bioshock basically, and I th- I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it's it's so similar to Bioshock is because they I think that's how it's being pitched internally yeah. is it was certainly certainly from the marketing publishing point of view Activision's point of view I think it's going to be their Bioshock hmm. I think the problem is for me it's it, I know you don't agree with me I think it's too complicated I just think it's too difficult to get your head round the story's really long and convoluted and and I don't know not that interesting it's got a rubbish name let me see if I can summarise um, the, the plot in one sentence let me see if it's actually possible Bruckheimer style who's actually into games now apparently yeah yeah, yeah. So, U.S. pilot flies towards Russian island, which was the subject of loads of time. No, it's impossible. There was a, basically back in the fifties, there was a bunch of experiments with on this with this new element on this Russian island, which ended up killing a load of people. Now, some guy has returned to that island to replicate the experiment, but at the expense of basically everyone on Earth. And this pilot was sent in to investigate, and now he's stuck there. Is trying to at first trying to get off the island, but instead ends up. 
It's not exactly a man crash lands in ocean, finds underwater city. No, it's, it's really not. It is, yeah, that whole Bruckheimer thing is like <coughs> a big... It is, for games, more important than it is for movies, I think. The high concept, you know, being able to summarise the entire thing in one sentence. Yeah. Because I think we start from a, 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 silly, a bit of a silly premise if we think that video games are an appropriate means to tell a story anyway. Most of the time they're not. Most of the time the story is an excuse for the action. And... In that case, the high concept works brilliantly because in any high concept movie, the story is just an excuse to blow a load of shit up. And in Singularity, they've got a lot of story there, which might turn out to be a really good thing. I actually think the story's quite interesting. I'm quite intrigued by it. Yeah, I think the story's quite good. There's this really cool bit they showed off, which again might be NDA breaking, so get ready for the cut if it comes. Uh, uh, uh. Um, So he goes um, into this area and gets caught in a time loop where this moment from 1950 whatever is replaying itself over and over again so these four guys are stuck in the moment they all got blown up over and over again forever but you walk you pass through that and on the other side you come out in the past where this guy's like listen i don't know how long you're going to be here i need to give you i need to tell you this information and like being a douchebag who you play why don't you always have to play as douchebags these days by the way like if i'm playing if i was that guy i'd shut up and let the dude talk but this guy's like, no, you, you, I gotta get back to. It's like the guy's like, shut up, I gotta tell you something. He's like, no, I won't get back to my soul. Like, no, no, listen, I got this is really important. This could save your life. I, I got. It's just, it's, it sucks. It's the lost syndrome. Yeah, it's lost season three. Syndrome. I've got something really important to tell you. Look okay. over there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that, it's that problem. It's like if I, if I found myself in a time loop and some guy was saying, listen. If you don't, if I don't tell you the important this knowledge, everyone in the world's gonna die. I'd probably just shut up and listen to him. Yeah. So this guy comes along and is like, listen, I don't know how long you're going to be here. I've got to tell you all this stuff. And he tells him the stuff. And then this wave comes along and everything is like back in the present. So everything's all like aged. And the stuff they've done with the tech is absolutely amazing. The engine is incredible. Uh, I'm not sure what engine it is. It might even be Unreal, but whatever they've done with it is really impressive. I suppose it's Id's um, engine, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, um, the Doom 3 engine. Yeah. yeah, it might be that. But stuff will like age on the fly and stuff. It's very, it's very, very impressive. Um... But then there's other things which are kind of just annoying. It's like, okay, so you'll find the ruin, the wreckage of a crate. And in the past, that crate had ammo. So you'll use your gauntlet to de-age the crate. And then you'll smash the crate open and there'll be ammo in it. But to be honest, it would have been much less annoying to just have a crate with ammo in the first place. Like, Why is there no ammo in it? Because the, it's, everything's aged. It's beyond. All the aged. ammo's just gotten... The ammunition's aged beyond usefulness. Right. So if you de-age it... Then it will be, you know, they'll be still be there, or maybe even someone picked up the ammo in the meantime and took it away. But you know, you de-age it to the point it was in 1950. Then the ammo is still good for your your gun, which is in the present. I don't know, but um, exactly that's what I mean. Is you like, wait a minute, am I, some, uh, you're like, uh, so I got to do the bridge. I got to rebuild this bridge. I'm, I got to go back to the past and use my glove to rebuild the. Br- no, wait a minute, I, I'm in the future and. I, Oh shit! Where am I? Oh, uh, uh, do you know what I mean? It's just like all a bit. I, I, but I, as a huge fan of Portal, like, it seems to have those yeah, elements which I, I mean, find really exciting. Don't get exciting. me wrong; it's like it's it's like Mike says, it's high concept, but you can't sum it up easily. But it's, it's not high concept. But it's, it's not high no. concept in the sense Jerry Bruckheimer, no. Don Simpson sense. It's just a big concept. But it's a big. <laughs> it's high concept in the sense that they've taken this massive, perhaps one of the most complicated. Um, theorem out there 
time travel. Time travel is always awkward to deal with. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, it's it's always a tricky subject. As anyone who's been watching a new series of Lost will say, will tell you. Yeah, I it's, think they've done tricky... quite. A, I think they've done quite a good job at explaining it in Lost. Basically, by as soon as they stop the time bouncing. Yeah. Yeah. But. But yeah, it's just very... spoil it for Pellet. Don't don't. It's very it's very cool. Anyway, you know, I mean, we'll uh, we'll see what it's. it's I think like... honestly, I think it's uh, like if you one thing they that Raven are really good at is really good guns. Like Wolfenstein's got great guns, like really, really great guns, and so is um, so is Singularity. Like I, I don't know, man. I, th- I think if any game from Raven turns out to be great, it will be Singularity. But why would you ever use the guns in Singularity? When you got the old time gauntlet, yeah. I guess it's on a on a charge. I would imagine. But again, I wasn't. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, maybe we'll find out quite soon. The game's not actually not that far off, and it looks it looks quite you know it looks incredibly polished. The, the work that they've done on it is exceptional, but man, I wish you'd just get off their Bioshock tip. Mm. I wish you'd just get, like, you know, Bioshock was a good game, yeah, but it wasn't the be-all, end-all of games. And it really looks like they used Bioshock as a start point and an end point, which is, you know, I mean, plenty of people have used Halo as a jumping-off point. Plenty of people use Call of Duty as a jumping-off point. But Resi 4 as well. Resi 4, of course, it's like massively influential, but the end point wasn't necessarily the same. This game really does feel like Bioshock. And, well, I mean, I didn't actually interview the guys. Because I was, you know, basing you know, content for our next issue, and we hadn't booked aside any space for Singularity, but I could hear a bunch of people interviewing them, and the B word was being dropped left, right, and center. Like every single person wanted to know about Bioshock and Bioshock and Bioshock. To these guys, I, I kind of felt a little bit sorry for them. But you know, if you're going to make yeah, your game exactly. as conspicuously Bioshockian as we'll open say, to those questions, yeah. Um, so we've had some code in the office this week. Uh, uh, specifically, we've had Prototype Land, uh, which we'll do in the exclusive Xbox review of in our next issue on got, sale June the 9th. We've got Sacred 2 turn up, which was um, quite a surprise as well. Yeah, retail yeah. code as well. Yeah. Which I've been um, plugging away at, and it's actually pretty decent yeah? so far. So, yeah, from what I've played so far. I mean, Sacred 2 is a game like Diablo, like um, the console versions of Baldur's Gate, which well, weren't a lot RPGs. Of our readers might already have played it. It's been on PC for the best part of six months. And. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 all right. It's not bad. But I, I need to put about twenty decent hours in before I can even judge. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's, so the game, what's the game? Rob Taylor's reviewing for us. Tales of Vesperia. Oh uh, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, we're doing that as well. Um, it's a big issue in the next one. Really yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. Review wise. Um, but prototype. Let's talk a bit about prototypes. We finally got review code in. Um, we won't review uh, reveal too much because we haven't. I think it's fair to say none of us have played a great deal of it. We've just mucked around in the world a little bit. But I think while it's not it's not as polished or or as um, well designed and crafted, I guess, as Red Faction Guerrilla, it's pretty good fun, Mike. Yeah, I like it. I liked it a lot. I think it's better than like I mean the the previous like benchmark for that kind of crazy action shooters. Like I think it's important to differentiate the difference between like a GTA and a Crackdown. Mm. Or, you know, GTA and the Mercenaries. One is about just, like, massive-scale action, just craziness, whereas GTA is much more, like, you know, about being cinematic and telling a story and mm. you know, keeping it at street level. Well, you know, obviously, Prototype is very much more in the, um, you know, the, the, the Spider-Man 2 and uh, Crackdown yeah. school. And I think it's better than Crackdown. I think it's it's as good as Spider-Man 2, which was the previous high, you know, the, the, the real, one of the real benchmarks. And better than uh, Crackdown, which is this generation's bench- benchmark. Um, in that, those guys—I mean, it's rumored that those—it's rumored that the guys who made 
Prototype are working on the next Spider-Man game, and they are absolutely the best men for the job because Prototype is Spider-Man without uh, without web slinging. You can just use shoot down the street at incredibly high speed, leap you know like fifty feet into the air, glide, climb walls, run just run straight up walls. Um, for me, the best feature though is being able to just grab anyone in the world and then just absorb them. Mm. So you can just be running around the world as like some, you know, just some some old lady, you know, just sprinting up buildings and stuff, like punching guys' heads off. It's um, a great version of New York they built. Yeah. Very simple, very blocky, and so on. But it has to be because of the amount of stuff they have going on in the world. I mean, GTA had a lot going on, but it was, it was like it had very fine details and everything. This is a world without details, but the number of people and the density of stuff happening in the world is 10 times what you'd find in GTA. There are just hundreds of people walking around and like 50, 60 cars on screen at once. The game actually kicks off with um, an action sequence, which is from the end of the game and then goes back like, you know, to like 14 days earlier. It's like the whole thing is, is, um, you know, very Metroid. You start off with all your powers and you flash back to when you didn't have all of your powers. Um, and the amount of crap they have kicking off in Times Square in the opening bit of the game, it's just there's tanks everywhere, helicopters everywhere, millions of people mutating and changing and attacking you. It's just the, the engine, they, how it holds together is remarkable. I mean, I had, a, I had a go on it yesterday for probably about 45 minutes out of play and didn't do any of the missions, admittedly, um, but uh, just fiddle around with the world. And I mean, it doesn't look... You know, if you were just to stand still and look around, I don't think it looks great. I mean, it's a bit brown, it's a bit kind of like blocky and and that. But as you say, they're doing the, the beyond that. I mean, if you look beyond that, what they what they're cramming in is incredible. And it's just, I just had great fun, just belting around the world. I climbed to the top of the Chrysler building, jumped off and and uh, and uh, elbow dropped a tank. Yeah, nothing stops you in that game. Like, you, If you just hold forward and the A button, you just keep going. Yeah. If there's cars in your way, you vault them. If there's a lorry in your way, you just you slide across the roof of it. You know? And you feel like God. I mean, you yeah. feel so powerful. It's brilliant. I mean, and even when you've got none of your powers at the start, you still feel like a total badass. You know, you just have to jump off a, a skyscraper and land in the street and there's a like ripple going at goes down the street and yeah. all the cars turn over and the people go off screaming into the... I will say that it is a little bit obsessed with imparting story. Like, Crackdown worked and had almost no story whatsoever. The missions were obviously completely rubbish in Crackdown. You run into an area, 10,000 guys start shooting guns at you and then you just throw cars at them until they're all dead. Um, this game has much more interesting missions, but if you actually were just to follow the campaign along, you would be spending quite a lot of time in cutscenes. I mean, the game dishes out cutscenes quite heavily, um, which obviously is what GTA does. What you expect it from there, you don't expect it from like an all-out action game. It's like mm. Red Faction Guerrilla. It's, it's got maybe I don't know ten cutscenes in the whole game. It's like it's very very sparsely populated with story elements. This game dishes out story left, right, and center. I'm not sure if that's what you want from this game. No. I think you just want to go and just go crazy in the world. Mm. I. Uh... I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly disagree with you guys and say um, I passed up the opportunity to play it because I don't know from where I was sitting it just didn't engage me that much. I mean it it looks impressive, yeah, but um, I've already had the the fun with Spider-Man and with Crackdown where I felt like God and I wanted a world which was I don't know which was a bit more challenging. Now I'm sure that, that as as the game continues the missions get harder, but I don't want to just be able to run everywhere, like up skyscrapers and 
jump anywhere, do anything, and have nothing stop me because I want. I want. Then to you want GTA Four then? Well, no, it's not that. Um, I mean, even oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but even something like Bionic Commando. <coughs> yeah, sorry, I feel dirty for saying that. Um, has some sort of you know challenge where you, you're not Superman, you can't do everything and, and beat up everyone with, without difficulty. And that's not in prototype. It, there's almost a bit too much freedom. Like in Crackdown, it was a challenge scaling certain buildings. In prototype, you just go up to any skyscraper and hold one button and you run up to the top. I, wa- I want to be challenged in doing those things as well. I don't know. Mm. It doesn't feel like... I don't know, man. I don't play games for challenge anymore. I'm, I'm through with challenge. Um, I, I want to always feel like I've achieved something, but I want to feel like I just made it, you know? I, but I don't ever want to be frustrated by it. There, some people balance that absolutely perfectly, and some people just can't quite get it right. But there are so many times when you just get... You know, the game. If a game's pitched just right, you should really never lose. You should just get through by the skin of your teeth every time. You should feel like every fight... It's just an absolute war, which you just scraped it through, scraped through. I'll tell you what prototype reminds me of. It just reminds me of one elongated GTA 3 rampage mission. That's all it seems like to me. Mm. Like it, it doesn't feel like... In GTA, you do, say, rampage mission, but then you've got the, the point where you have to evade the cops. There doesn't seem to be any of that in prototype. It's always, oh, you can just bash your way through any situation. And like I say, I can't really pass judgment on it because I haven't play it through mm. it might be that later on in the game it, you know it brings these elements into play but for me i don't know there's just almost too much freedom too much like power and not enough content i don't know i, yeah, don't know. We'll well, I guess i guess the thing is i mean some people may see it's like mike says some people may see that as a a bad thing i mean i think what you got to remember is that you know for someone like me you know i'm not as good at games as you i don't play the things on the the hardest possible difficulty setting from the off you know, I mean, I want a game where I feel like I stand a fighting chance every time I go out into the world. What I don't want to feel like is I'm totally up against it all the bleeding time. And no, if I I'm make not. one mistake, then I get my head chopped off. You know, I don't want that. For me, this is just my me personally. I'm talking about Tim Weaver. I don't want that level of challenge. I don't want to go out there and feel like that. You know, what I liked about Prototype was I felt like I was, I had something about me from the off. You Plenty know. of people complained about, um, of course, Bioshock, you know, respawning in it. We should be to turn off in the sequel, apparently. Uh, oh, uh, he. Uh, this isn't. I doubt this would be spoiling anything. But Jordan revealed that you can no longer um, use the chamber spawning. Like if if you, in the original, you could like got to a big daddy. Daddy hit him a couple of times with the wrench and then die and then respawn and he will have lost the same amount of health. So you can keep doing it over and over until he's dead. Um, if you try it this time, the world will will have moved on. And the big daddy will have regained health, so you, so you can't abuse it in that way. That's a, almost a sh- that seems almost a shame. I really liked the way the original worked. I liked that I could be utterly useless and still, still, so, you know, still plow on through. Which I guess is actually entirely contrary to the the Randian point made in the game. That you know, we shall, I'm sure some of our our college, our co- our, our book learning readers, were, listeners will know about. Um, but no, I liked um, I liked that. The reward for doing good was a clean run through the game. Like I, I liked that if I if I did really good against the big daddy, set my traps up well, led him on this little dance of chaos through all of my different traps, 
you know, made, made him run through loads of wires, made him run over loads of mines, had the right ammo prepared, so I'd, I'd set myself up just right. I'd hacked some bots. I liked them. my reward was this, this incredible, you know, incredibly well-made fight where everything comes together and he gets taken down. You know, you, it's the A-team thing. You know, I love it when a plan comes together and it, you do. You know, that's the, that's the fun. And I liked that the punishment for not planning like that was this thing would get up in your face and smash the crap out of you, just, just annihilate you. But you weren't punished for that. Your punishment, because you, you just go back to the, the gate and you know, you'd spawn again there. The punishment was a job poorly done. And your reward was a job well done. It wasn't like a punitive thing, which was like, it wasn't, no one ever said, you failed, yeah. you got to start again. It was like, you failed because your run through doesn't look good. It didn't, it didn't feel as good. It wasn't as much fun to do. And if you did it properly, you'd have more fun and, you know, it would look a lot better. Like, your, your reward was style, essentially. Mm. And I, I really like that. So anyway, yeah, it was, I mean, well, I guess we'll see. We've given it to uh, to Matt Castle on Endgamer's Matt Castle review and we'll see what he makes of it. I think he came in this morning and said he was really enjoying it, so... Well, I'm sure it would be good. But for me, I don't know, when I, when I watched you guys play, it just felt like I was playing something like Saints Row with infinite health switched mm. on um instead of doing the missions all i was doing was going around and just you know when when everyone first got gta 3 they spent about that, yeah. four days just playing in the world well you well, say, you is, say I've that i've done that you say it but some people exclusively played like that and that's that i think is important like to me that never appealed to me so i'm not i'm not sure how prototype's gonna fall i enjoyed the you know the first bit of few hours i played when i was playing it um but like, you know, one thing I think Rockstar kind of missed with uh, GTA 4 was that how many people only played GTA to turn on all of mm. the cheats and go on a rampage. Mm. Like, I mean, it's like a good hour in that game before you even get a gun. And they really missed the trick there, which Saints Row, you know, spotted and completely picked up I think on. Rockstar decided they're above that. You know, I think they did, yeah. They're like the playboy of the sandbox games. They're going to be the classy porn. They don't want to be the... Like yeah. spread open yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. all hell. the old crotch shot <laughs> exactly yeah I, 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 I understand entirely why they did it but at the same time I know a lot of people were disappointed with GTA for that exact reason and they they almost built GTA's reputation was almost built on that kind of gameplay as well wasn't it I, oh, mean, yeah. I mean you mean, think about GTA, GTA 3, 1, 2, and, 3. And especially Vice City yeah was very much like that it was about going crazy yeah. in the world well, the fact that there are no rampages in GTA 4 I think just reinforces mm. the fact that they've They've decided to move on from that and yeah. let Saints Row pick up the, the mantle. Yeah, and uh, it, it did very well. It even picked up the, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the massive technical problems which uh, the old GTAs <laughs> had. Matt, you've got a bit of the old, uh, the old yeah, Resident Evil um, stuff there. You might have noticed uh, in the last few issues, every month we're doing uh, making our feature. <laughs> oh, God. We, uh, <laughs> I know where this is going. We, we like to, talk about this. You know, I think it's... Um, a really important factor to to look back at certain you know usually big games and see how they were made. We're not doing it just for learned. the sake of like if there's no game we want to if there's no game we if there's no game we want to champion we're not going to do it. But yeah. there's plenty of games which, which came out maybe sold well or maybe didn't sell as much as they wanted. But either way, you know what our market's like. A couple of months down the line, everyone forgets about what mm. was released three months ago. So it's nice to take a look back at the really big games and look at how they were made. I think it's also all... nice for developers to be brutally honest about yeah. the development of a, of a game. Uh, the one in the latest issue is Far Cry 2, and um, that is a really great, great uh, interview. And uh, Clint Hocking and the art director, whose name I can't remember. Well, Clint Hocking has like, spoken a couple of times, spoke to Game Developer from Mag as well, about this, like, what went wrong on a project. And there's so, so many things. Like, I mean, as I understand it, they didn't even really have a playable from start to finish build of the game until about a week before the game was supposed to ship. 
So they had no idea how long yeah. the game was. It was a surprise to them when they found that the game was like a close to 20-hour game. They thought it was going to be like half that. Well, I, I, I've got one ready for a few issues time um, on Red Faction Guerrilla, which I, I met the guys, guys very frank, met yes. the guys a couple of months ago, and some of the stuff he was coming out with was... Oh, I was shocked because I could have run like some stuff as preview saying, well, this went wrong and it was based on this and that happened. A really, really interesting thing that a lot of people would think would be damaging to their games. Yeah. But in actual fact, it's, it's, it's more interesting to see how people have, how developers have worked past, you know, yeah, gone the, around these the hazes, issues yeah. that have, have cropped up. Well, I, was, well, I got to chat to the uh, DJ Hero guys and I was talking about how they prototyped their, con their controller and obviously you know, that went through a lot of revisions. That'll be in our next issue, folks. But, um, so yeah, so next month we did have uh, Resident Evil 5 penciled in because we got to chat to uh, Jun Takeuchi about, uh, about the game and we thought, you know, it'd be, a, <laughs> be a, a real interesting insight into the making of Resident Evil 5. You know, ask some really hard questions. We really wanted to know why they decided to make certain choices because Resident Evil 5 was a radical departure in some ways from what had gone before in the series. Um, and we got some interesting answers back. Yeah, we ask really good questions. I mean, the kind of questions which sort of, you know, you have to ask kind of leading questions, particularly when you're doing an email interview. You have to ask leading questions because otherwise you could, you, you don't want to rely upon the, uh, the chance that they might misinterpret the question and come back with an answer that's completely irrelevant. You sort of have to give them leading questions to make sure they're telling you about the things you want to tell them about. And Matt did exactly that. He gave them the right questions to elicit the right responses. But Jun Takeuchi decided that he was just going to go ahead and do his own thing. Mike, you, you've seen Resi 5, and uh, obviously you've seen Resi 4. I have. played them both. It's interesting how similar they are, isn't it? You know, like the villages, the animations, they're, they're, so, they're so familiar. Yeah, you, 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 you're onto something there, Matt. A common is, complaint is that everything is just like a carbon copy of Resi 4. curious. Anyway, anyway, so I said, you know, I, I wanted to know, you know what's salvageable from Resi 4? Because they, they must, they surely must have borrowed a few things. Like, thought, hmm, those villager animations will do, we'll use that. Um, no, 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 John says, uh, actually, there wasn't a single element carried over from Resident Evil 4. Perhaps one of the control styles. So not the entire structure of the. Open no, it's completely different. Game. It's a completely different game. It is, because it looked pretty much identical when I when I was playing it. It pretty much felt like I was doing the village section again. And um, oh, what's that guy's name? You know, Doctor Salvador. <laughs> an African Doctor Salvador seemed suspiciously familiar. <laughs> but but apparently it's not carried over, right? No, no. That's what he says. All all, uh, all new. Um, I mean, most most of the questions are. Are just quite quite vague, sadly. The answers that we got part, that we got back, um, they were just like, were there any tough decisions that, that the team encountered? It was just like, well, the control system. Some of us said keep the original and no strafing, and some said no, let's have something else. And and that was all <laughs> we were told about about the hard decisions the team faced. I think um, um, just sorry, Matt, just to interject, uh, the reason we're telling you this on the podcast is because we were, like Matt says, we were going to do a, uh, a making of Resi Five, but the answers were so crushingly disappointing and short that um, we simply couldn't make a feature out of it. So we thought it'd be worth sort of sharing um, Takeuchi's uh, response to. Uh, I want to. I want to say something here as well. I'm not entirely sure all of it's Takeuchi's responses. Yeah. Because. Whenever you interview a Japanese developer, if you don't speak Japanese, it all goes through a translator yeah. who is employed by the PR people and usually works in PR themselves. Because, you know, we live in an English-speaking industry. Even the Japanese guys have to do a lot of dealings in English. So I have PR people who are versed in English, obviously. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I played Bayonetta. And I might even talk about it in a minute if we've got time. 
it's exceptional. Um, it's, it's like it is without question the best action beat up around. But when I was interviewing uh, Hideki Kamaya afterwards, he would say something. The room would erupt in laughter, and Hideki Kamaya had been you know enjoying some drinks that day, so he was saying some funny stuff, obviously. And the whole room would erupt in laughter, the whole Japanese-speaking portion of the room. And then it would be translated to me after a lengthy pause by the translator who was kind of working out how to position it and then would, would tell me something which was as straight and as plain <laughs> yeah. as like, you know, a big beige wall. I found that when I went to do the Smackdown thing last year. Yeah. Sometimes, like, it's not even a case of they're always filtering stuff. It just gets lost in translation. Course, like I was asking yeah. stuff about the game engine, which didn't even seem to translate into Japanese. They, they didn't understand what I was talking about when yeah. I was speaking about their engine. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure this... Like, in, in native tongue, this might not have been what Takuchi said, but this is what we got back. So what we got back, and yeah. it wasn't usable in the magazine. No. Unfortunately. Um, it was interesting. I wanted to know, because there was a big focus on, oh, we big emphasis on, oh, there'll be elements of heat in the game. You'll have yeah, to there's cool a lot, down of, with a lot of the early talk was about, you know, managing your heat levels and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so I wanted to know what happened to that. And apparently he decided that um, <clears throat> the, the, if, if, if they did that, the focus of the game would be surviving in the heat rather than the actual story with horror, with horror elements. Although I'm not quite sure what happened to the horror el- elements no, of the game. No. Um, the, one of the most interesting things, though, I thought was the cover system. Because that was a radical departure for, yes. for Resi 5. I mean, I think it was clear it was an influence. It was something that um, was influenced by Gears of War 2. Yeah, which is quite which is surprisingly successful in Japan. Um, and we really wanted to know why they put it in their game. So we asked them, you know, why was the cover system added to Resi 5? To which we got the predictable response. It was a result of exploration into the new experience of the Resident Evil franchise. See, when you ask that question, you don't want it was a result of exploration into the Resident Evil franchise. What you want is, well, we looked at this game and this game, and this other guy on the team said, nah, that game's rubbish, I wasn't really, and we shouldn't be taking from that, but I thought it was a really good idea. And we so, thought if we had cover system, we could get projectile enemies yeah, in. Yeah, and like how it affected the design decisions, stuff like that, and you, you want sort of, you know, a story, but what they're giving you is like one line answer. Is this real? It's a real shame, because I mean, yeah. there's such a story to tell there. Um, and we also asked them... <laughs> Tim, I'll let you. I'll let you have the response for this. I can't even remember what but, it was. Uh, I'll, I'll hand it over. What problems, big or small, did you encounter during Resident Evil Five's development? And there's and there's always problems. Whenever you ask that question to a Western developer, they always come up with something like, "Man, well, the controls weren't working for the longest time." Or the Red Faction guys were saying that we just didn't know who our character was for a long yeah. time. We just didn't know who our character was. And Resident Evil's Jun Takeuchi said, "Big problem encounter," you say. Resident Evil 5 itself, maybe? In brackets, laughs. <laughs> what? I mean, what does that even mean? What, that, you're saying the whole game is a, was, was the, a problem? or I don't know. The, I think he's the, saying yeah. like, the, the weight of carrying like, the responsibility of Resi 5 was, the, was like, you know, the... Yeah. He goes on to say, like, it was just making the sequel to Resi 4 and continuing the work of their Jedi Master. Shinji and that's Mikami. something which sounds funny. Like, oh, your Jedi, oh, Jedi Master. See, that's a cultural touchstone yeah, I don't think yeah. he would have mentioned. No. I mean, Star Wars was big in Japan, but it's just a cultural touchstone I don't think he would have come up with. Resi, I mean, Resi 5, I think we can all agree, it wasn't the game of the generation that we'd all hoped. No. Like, Resi 4 in was the, same, the game yeah, of the Resi generation. Yeah, Resi really was. Really, really was. Um, Resi 5 definitely wasn't. So, you know, we wanted to know what went wrong. And... and we, we got back stuff like, to be honest, I didn't expect this level of perfection. <laughs> the chemistry in the title made it a real gem. It is perfect. Um, yeah. So, 
unfortunately, there's not much to tell in the making of. A couple of interesting bits, though. Um, he confirms that Wesker is, is dead, essentially. We, we asked whether it was a controversial decision to kill him off, and he didn't go into that, but he, he explains that um, the story of Wesker and Chris may have ended here, but Wesker's plans still dwell in the world. Those who plot to realise their egoism would inherit Wesker's intentions. So he's saying someone else is going to carry on where Wesker left off. And then he also says, um, Resident Evil 6 will come, with f- will come full of fresh surprises, but I shouldn't say much about this for now. But I think the fact they're saying that Resident Evil 6 is different, they said that before Resident Evil 5 came out, mm-hmm. is just proof that their new Resident Evil 5 wasn't what it yeah, should be. It'll be controlled with a guitar controller. <laughs> I think it's been I think it's been very watered down that yeah. that interview and I think uh but I, I still think it's uh I still think it's a bit disappointing. Well, we've yeah. met him in the I believe we've met him in the flesh before. I think Rob spoke to him over at E3 and the interview he got there was actually quite good, you know. Yeah. I think I think that's just gone yeah. through probably about it went through the Japanese PR guy. Yeah. Came over here, went, went through, through a translator, then a Japanese PR team, uh, probably a legion of them. Came over here, went through a UK PR team and then to yeah. us and then the only change the team would have made on Resident Evil 5, if they could now, is um, they would have added a little bit more story. A little That's bit more story. the only change that Resident Evil 5 would undergo now. It's all it needs. Just a little yeah. bit more story. It's so perfect already. Yeah. yeah. Real gem. I wasn't expecting that level of perfection. We do thank Capcom for the interview, though. It was, yeah. uh, I mean, to, to be diplomatic here, it, we're, not, we're not saying, we're not, we're not spitting in anyone's eye or anything. No. It was, uh, it's, it's, nice to have, uh, it's nice to have the access. It's just a shame that it got f- so heavily filtered the on the way. The responses were so blando Corizian. Mm-hmm. Let's have some questions then, Pallet. Okay. Okay. Um, we've got Robin Java. A couple of questions. He wants to know, Will Modern Warfare 2 be better than COD 4? Well, we don't know for sure, but... Yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> Every single game Infinity would have done has been better than the one before it. Yeah. So we have faith. The evidence suggests, yes. It's got snowmobiles as well. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Got guided by, like, you know, by wire bombs as well. Trailer should be up today as well. And also uh, a question that Mike, uh, I think, will, will answer with glee. When is there going to be another Decent Racer out? Mike, tell us all about the Decent Racers coming. Okay, so we got the Formula One game coming out next year from um, from uh, Code Codemasters, Masters. which is a long way off, but it uses the same engine as like probably uses the same engine as Grid and Dirt and everything. We've got Dirty Colin as well, Dirty Colin Two coming out next later this year. With extra Vicky Blows. Extra Vicky Blows, who is a uh, Dirty Vicky along with, alongside Dirty Colin. Um, Colin McRae's Dirt Two is going to be exceptional. The first game was excellent. It needed a few things. Which I think I'll absolutely nail in the next one. Yeah. So that's this year. I mean, this year's a big year for racing games. Everyone is finding their niche. Uh, shout out to the um, the Project Gotham guys just yesterday, and they were saying, you know, it's obvious the genre is stagnating. It's obvious it's stagnating. It needs more stuff. It just needs more ideas. Um, so let's just, just break it down into a couple of bits to make it quick. Got Blur, which is a straight up arcade racer, but handles kind of like Gotham, but with weapons. You know, so that's that's immediately too. You know, the weapon thing. Eh, not so sure about. Guess what? You can turn all the weapons off, just like I said we would on the last podcast. Um, and it's what they've done is the big change really for me isn't like they've added weapons. It's that the tracks are now instead of being slaves to the cities they're based on, instead of like right angle turns everywhere in Hammersmith, you know, in uh, Hackney rather, they've put roundabouts everywhere. So you've got big slow curves and everything. You know, they've really made it so it's much more fluid than Gotham. You're not like well, I'm going along at sixty miles an hour. Stop. Yeah. Going along at sixty. Stop. Go up to 120 stop. It's not, you know, it's not like that. It's a it really much faster, much more flowing race. Um, then you have 
uh, Colin McRae, which is you know going to be very dirty, very rugged, and absolutely beautiful. Uh, Forza Three is in the works. Forza Three is going to be announced at E3, absolutely no doubt. Oh, it won't with, be out this year though, with a new steering wheel. But one game. Oh no, it won't be out this year. Sorry, but split second. Yeah, very start nice, of 2010. Yeah, start of 2010, split second, which is going to be brilliant and the, the biggest competition to blur. Uh, and probably the best racer of the year, believe it or not, is going to be Need for Speed Shift. Yep. Who would have put your money on a Need for Speed game being the game you're all looking forward to? It is superb. Every That team is just a class act. They know how to make a sim racer so, so well. Um, and with EA money in it, it's just an absolutely exceptional game. I have no doubt that, you know, it's the, it's the first Need for Speed game that EA have farmed out, you know? They had to have incredible faith in the team. But the team have got such a strong pedigree with the GT Legends of games. They've done a, just an exceptional job. Every time we play it, it's a joy. I just want Code to walk away with it at this point. There's there's a sim out next month called V8, I think, off the top of my head, by Black Bean. Um, might be decent. We haven't seen anything of it yet, so we can't say either way for that one. Yeah, and of course there's MXATV as well, which is um, you know, Reflex, which is a... Really, really good game. Anyone who's into, you know, quad biking, motorbikes and so on. In fact, anyone who enjoyed Excite Bike on the N64 will absolutely love it. It's, it's that kind of... It's not a sim game. It's crazy, arcadey. It's, uh, you know, a totally mental game. There are more. I just can't think there of There are them. more. I can't think. Those, those are, like, the notable ones. The genre, I mean, there's fuel, but we've got code in. We're yeah, kind of undecided is, about that at the moment. Yeah, is okay. We'll be seeing something from Criterion at some point. We, we, there are things we know about that, but, I, but there are rumours going around, which, I don't, which you, I don't want to repeat because they are just rumours. Of course, Burnout's always getting DLC, so yeah. that's changing every month anyway. Burnout's fresh every time you look at it. It's, every time you blink, there's something new in that game. And um, I'm sure we're missing something. I can't think of what. Test Drive Unlimited next year, which will be probably late next year, but will be exceptional, I have no doubt. I mean, I love Test Drive Unlimited. I mean, we've spoken about it on the podcast before. Uh, I just friggin' love driving games, man. It's been breaking my heart to see the, see the the whole industry getting a little bit bored with it. But I can see why. It's like once you got to, once you've made the graphics as good as they can be, what what's your innovation next? Mm. I mean, you know, Midnight Club attached a story to it. You know, loads of girls in mini skirts and a dude who looks like the dude from Fracture going around going, "Yod man, I'm just here to ride cars." You know, it's I don't I don't know, man. I don't think that's the way to take driving. I'm not sure yeah. how you make them good. Colin McRae did that really interesting pyramid structure, which I really liked. Yeah, you know, you good. start off with loads and loads of events to choose from, and it all eventually ends up in, as one. That was a brilliant way to structure a game. But then you also had that douchebag talking all over it, going, "Hey!" <laughs> Even James Bond racing might be quite decent. Oh, of course, yeah. Good and Bizarro are going to be working on a Bond game, which is going to have definitely have racing elements. So there's a lot coming. It's just no one really has anything that's going to be good. Here's, the, here's the, actually the problem that racing games have, just to drag us out a few seconds longer. The problem that racing games have is that they're all so good these days. Yeah. The only people who have the balls to make a racing game now are the people who know they can do it brilliantly. The people who've been making racing games for years. Rainbow Studios, Bizarre, Codemasters. Black these Rock. People, Black Rock. These people have been making racing games for so long they know they can do it brilliantly. If anything, what the racing genre needs is a bunch of guys who are used to doing, I don't know, shooters or RPGs to come along and say, okay, we've got all these crazy ideas which we're going to introduce to the genre. And maybe you get something really unique out of it. Maybe you get something totally awful. I don't know. But either way, the, 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 the entire genre needs a big injection of newness. Steve Wan wants to know, what's your opinion of Predator Concrete Jungle? Uh, and do we think another Predator game should be made? Predator Concrete Jungle was ass. 
It was absolutely rubbish. You're thinking of Predator 2, aren't you? No, I'm thinking of Predator Concrete Jungle, the game Last on Xbox. Gen. Oh, that one. Oh, I never played it. No, it was rubbish. Um, Not very good. Don't even bother. I think maybe off the, that's coming off the back of Batman, I'm thinking. No, no, thinking. no. It was, it was no, rubbish. No, sorry, I'm thinking, sorry, I'm saying the question. Oh, right. Maybe okay. he's thinking, oh, Batman's been done really well. Maybe Predator. I think they're very different. Yeah. Kind of. Like, Predator hasn't got the, the, the mythology that, that Batman's got. It hasn't got the... And even in terms of how it works as a game, as Mike says, Batman's all about preparation. Half the game is just preparing yeah. for taking people down, whereas Predator's more like, rah, fire, make, fire, fire. I think you could make a decent, you could make a decent shooter out of if you based if you created a game based on the first film where you've got a team of Marines kind of being. But even then, I think it would be difficult to. I think playing as the Predator, you could sort of play as it has him in the same way as Batman in the new Batman game. You know, where you're Maybe like, in the second one, he was where a you're, bit where more. Because yeah. in the Batman game, you are hunting people, and that's what Predator's all about. So just that, that element alone, I guess you could lift. But I'm not sure Predator's that appealing a character to no. be. It's like, yeah, he's a badass, and he's a huge dude and everything, but playing as like an unmistakably alien freak that doesn't really talk has never been, you know, um, it's never that appealing in games. But then uh, Actually, if you go back and watch the, the films as well, his thermal vision is absolutely shat as well i don't know how he how he manages to uh, be so precise in his hunting because when they when they flick to flick to it in the jungle it's just like i can't make anything out no. final question um it's from a guy called shep it's quite an interesting one i think it's something we we, we need to address um he wants to know what is the minimum review score you would base your decision to buy a game on or rather that they should base their decision uh, he goes oh, on to say, <laughs> he goes on to say that my score of God, um, sorry, that's me, Matthew. My score of Godfather Two has left him undecided because he liked what he read in the body text, but the score makes him question whether or not he should buy the game. Oh, dude, I would say if you're reading, certainly if you're reading one of my reviews, just don't pay any attention to the number. Listen to the text. The, 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 num the number I try to make sure the number reflects the text, yeah. but sometimes I've banged sixes on games which I've, you know which I've really, really enjoyed. Tenchu Z, I loved. I adored that game. I thought it was brilliant, but I couldn't, with any good conscience, put a high number on it because it was just so flawed in so many ways. It has to be based on text. Like stuff come from, opinions come from text. Just if, if the text describes something you like, go with it, you know? If the text says, yeah, the game's technically flawed, so we can't give it like a, a, the kind of score we'd give it if it were really, really polished, but man, you'll have a lot of fun with this. It's Saints Row, you know? I think when you give, when you give a game in the 70s, you're, you're effectively saying... Uh, it's a great game. It's definitely worth buying, but you have to go into it with a few caveats. Yeah. One is that there's going to be a series of flaws in it that prevent it from being the kind of must-have game that you, you know we we we, the, we would give a eighty percent. I would say anything to. from fifty and above. Think, read the text. Think, is this something that I like? Because yeah. I mean, like Mike, there's been games with fives and sixes that I've enjoyed, but they're they're plain average games it's just if you happen to be into that particular genre then then you'll really find something that you love but um yeah i i think text is definitely the the element to, to i think i think he'll you know if he's if he's been looking out for godfather 2 for a while then if he picked it up he's not gonna be disappointed with it no, no it's a fun game i do think mafia 2 looks a lot better i yeah. really do i think they've got something quite special with mafia 2 um but no if if it's the kind of thing that he, he likes, if you like sandbox games, sounds quite interesting, then go for it. It's a, it's a good mix of sandbox and strategy. And headbutting old ladies. Yeah, and uh, 
and putting a baseball bat in someone's mouth and then whacking them down on the pavement. And Tommy so gunning their, their face throat. clean off. Yeah, that's always good too. Um, so that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, if you've got any questions, then email them into uh, xbw@futurenet.com or go on the website, post them on the forum. Remember, we have Twitter, uh, so get on there. And if you're not following us, then do follow us uh, because uh, you'll be updated regularly with fun stories about Mr. Loggerman and uh, and games. And we're we're building an army, and Twitter is our recruiting tool. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you soon.